Life is hectic, demanding, and doesn't stop. When honest with ourselves, we must confess we often don't know what the hell we're doing. The LARCast is an ongoing conversation about the inclusive and mischievous nature of God's presence through the lens of all the things that make up this phenomenon we refer to as life. Astonishing grace and refreshing honesty collide right here for your weekly encouragement. Tony and Russ here. Welcome back to the Lardcast. If you listened to last week's episode, you know that this is the second part of a one discussion we're having in the latter part of John chapter five. We're going to pick up in the middle of that discussion. So no banter, no funny intros, <laughs> no none of that. We're just going to dive right into the second part of this discussion. Thank you for joining us and we hope you enjoy. Here we go. Contrast a man who is lame 30 plus years in total desperation versus the religious police walking around, making sure everyone's doing what's right. You're incentivized. If you're the religious leaders bro. like you're, you're starting with the assumption that we're the good guys Mm -hmm. sent to make sure everybody else is doing what's right. Um, So again, moving on. Um, the dead will hear the voice of the son of God and those who hear will live. How is that? So because 26 for as the father has life in himself. So he has granted the son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute this judgment because he is the son of man. So please, you have to hear this because, and we've dealt with this in podcasts in the past, we automatically associate judgment in the negative yeah um to hear the words it is finished and that there is no condemnation or to hear it this way the son has come to give life or if you hear my words and trust them you will pass from death to life that is a judgment yeah he is coming and he is saying what is and how it works And his initial judgment to the world is there is life in me. Come trust me. So speaking of parables, it's the principle of inclusion before exclusion. That's what Mm -hmm. we talked about back then. God starts off by including. It is the judgment brought to the world. You are included. Life is at hand. Salvation is at hand. Grab hold of it. And then what he does the rest of the time is just contends with you. Like he's contending with the Pharisees, like he's contending with the woman at the well, like he's contending with you throughout life. And that part of that work of that father is to draw all men to himself. So if you're wondering, well, what is the father doing? How is he at work? What kind of work is the father doing? Well, the work that the father is doing is revealing the son. Yeah. To let you know you're not condemned, to let you know that he has a heart to save. That is that is the judgment. Here's the judgment. Here, let me just clear everything up. Here's how this is all gonna go. The father has life in himself, and he's granted that the son have life, and anyone who trusts him will pass from death to life. There's the judgment. Yeah. Yeah. Just so we're clear. (laughs) So he sort of seems to be saying. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, freedom comes from hearing what God thinks about you. And I think what Jesus is doing is he's making it very clear of what God is like and what he really thinks about us. Mm -hmm. yep. And just making it known just how simple and beautiful it is to grab hold of this reality. And you're right. That's, that's a judgment. It's a, a judgment. good and beautiful judgment. For as the Father has life in himself, so he's granted the Son also to have life, and he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. That is a reference. It's an Old Testament reference to the coming Messiah, uh, yeah. that, that idea of the Son of Man. 28, do not marvel at this. Like, don't be, don't be shocked, for an hour is coming when all who are in tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. So, mm -hmm. like I said, there's a, there's some reference to some future stuff going on here. There is a judgment that Jesus is bringing in the moment, a verdict, letting us know what God is like, who we are, how life is found, what are the terms, what are the conditions. The entry point is, right, life is found in, in the sun. How do we grab hold of that? By faith. We've already established that there's been so much clear language. Now he references this future thing, this moment where everyone's going to get resurrected unto this kind of like final judgment, meaning history is not like Rusty Cole said in um, True Detective season one. Um, time is like a flat circle, right? It just keeps spinning around. Yep. It's a better illustration is it's like an arrow headed for a target. There's going to come an end to human history. And at the end of human history, Jesus says, what's happening is the, the dead, the people who are in tombs, in graves. Um, the one I don't really understand how it'll work, but I'm sure God will figure it out is those who have been cremated and their ashes spread across the world. God's going to gather up all those particles, all those atoms. And he's going to raise the dead unto a judgment. And the question that's going to be asked is really the question that's being asked right now. What do you think of this son who has life in himself? Did you want him? Did you trust him? Or with hard hearts like these Pharisees, did you resist him? That is going to be the question. Well, there's a couple I, things in there. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, for, for me, it, it, there's just something simple in it, but needed. It, it, you've already referenced the one, the son of man. Mm -hmm. this, is, this is a term of deity. Mm-hmm. Okay, so there's a time coming where God himself will become flesh and do something. And number two is something that you mentioned was just the done good. Those who have done good. Mm -hmm. Seems to be this separation in this judgment. And the term done good is, you know, when you dive into that passage, it means credited good. Those who were credited good. Well, we've already made known, we've already talked about it you know, numerous times and even mentioned it within this podcast in the last episode. There are none who are good, for not one in himself is perfect, holy, and righteous. Yeah. Except for this son of man, this God who became flesh and dwelt among us, who through his death and resurrection credited us good. Mm-hmm. 
someone who did something that the blood of bulls and goats could not do, someone who did something that all of our religious exertion could not accomplish. Second mm-hmm. Corinthians 5 tells us that for our sake, God made him right to be sin who knew no sin. So that through his death and resurrection, it says, we might become the righteousness, there it is, of God. We might be accredited good. Yeah. On and the it's basis like of someone else. You could you could really grab onto verse 29 and be like, well, all this is really undoing, you know, this whole idea of, of grace. But like if you look at this passage in its broader context, it's the Pharisees find themselves being rebuked by Jesus for by like for doing what they perceive to be good upholding the sabbath and they're proving and i said this earlier they're proving that a life focused on the law not only allows but leads to missing out on the celebration of a miracle for a a minuscule violation of the law Mm -hmm. and then it'll lead you to, to plot a murder so let me get this straight because you're so dialed in on upholding moses and upholding your theology of finding out who's a heretic and who's violating the law you literally can investigate a dude instead of toast with him. And you literally can plot a dude's murder yep. in your effort to uphold the law. I think the law says something about that as well, right? Probably might be so, something in there. So to think that he's teaching some sort of performance-based salvation here is really silly. But what I do think is he's challenging their perception of good and evil. What good is it if you destroy a neighbor on your way to honoring your law and your theology. Yeah. So I still do believe because I read the commentators and they're all going, they were going this angle. And I ultimately agree with the angle that, that you're taking about the credited, the credited good and the distinction there. I still believe that those who pass from death to life by trusting in the son's words will be zealous for good works. Like, I believe that I believe the work, if, if the father is revealing the love of God to the son, right. Mm-hmm. And the love of God is in him later on, Jesus is going to tell these guys, dude, the love of God is not in you. The yeah. love for the law is in you. Right. So I believe that part of that passing from death to life is that we're going to, the love of God is going to be in us as a result of being awakened to the love of God. Um, I believe that. But what I always had an issue with is there is the reality of that, like the relationship that God has with us by virtue of just being in us Mm -hmm. and choosing to come and dwell in us and relating himself to us versus the idea of this or the theology of this phenomena. Mm -hmm. Because if you, if you spend time talking to someone about how something should go, or how it should work instead of the one who works the work. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Instead of the one who, the one, instead of focusing on the actual one who's doing this in us, this phenomena is in us because of him. It functions like the law in that it can't give life. So if I say true faith in the son who gives life will produce these things and it should produce these things in your life. That is, that is going to produce no more life in someone than a command. It becomes a command in and of itself. 
Yep. But I still believe in the phenomena of it. And there was a, there was a post that uh, Mockingbird had on Friday from this Frederick uh, Buchner. And it read this way. The final secret, I think, is this, that the words, you shall love the Lord your God, become in the end less a command than a promise. Yep. Less a command than a promise. A realization. A realization. Something he's working in us. And we have to, again, we have to trust that work mm-hmm. in others, those who have passed from death to life. But we're so, we so want it to happen like right now, yep. like in, you know, we want to, we want to gauge it. We want to throw it on a spreadsheet. We want to put timetables on it. We want to put expectations on it. And then we look at someone who's passed from death to life and say, well, this is what should be happening with you. Mm-hmm. And we think it's going to, we think it's going to further that process along instead of trusting the actual process of the one whom gives life to whom he will, you know, the yeah. one who actually is in dwelling in us and doing his work at his pace and his time, according to his authority. And it just ends up working against it. Well, if I'm going to be like frank about it, my experience with that whole dilemma, being someone who's fully participated in that, what should be and mapping it out and trying to produce it on my timetables. um, My conclusion in my own personal life and what I've seen in others is the people who are demanding it ultimately are the people who don't trust him. Yes. Which is crazy. The people who are demanding this ultimately are showing that in this moment, they, me, right, do not trust what Jesus has declared. Mm -hmm. So because all of that, that whole like trying to measure and map that, that is all driven from the anxiety, the fear, the doubt, the shame that comes over our lives because we're not trusting what God really has said about us. Mm -hmm. And we don't fully trust what God has said about this person in front of us. And so we want to fill that gap with what it is that we can see. A couple of things. Jesus himself says, oh, you guys want to talk about the law, right? And what should be? Go to the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 through 7. What does he show us? Hey, just so we're clear, when it's of me, he says, your right hand won't know what your left hand's doing. So that whole, like, here's what should be in my life. It's not there right now. Let me go grab this new study or this new book and, you know, go and produce this thing, you know, whatever it is. That's the opposite of your right hand, not knowing what your left hand's doing. Mm -hmm. Number two, Matthew 25, when Jesus unpacks, like the good works that people were doing, caring for the poor and feeding the hungry and clothing the naked. And they, well, how do they respond to him? For like Jesus, when 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 did we do this for you? They're clueless about it. So I would agree with you. When the love of God is in us, there's this thing that starts to well up in us that we start to love the things that are are of God. Amen. But that's a work of someone else, right? It's not a work of us. So if you're aiming at it in advance so that you can do it, then that's not faith. You're free to stop calling that Christianity. It's not Christianity. Your faith in those moments are not in the God Jesus revealed. Because they're, they're proving, they're proving that they think that a life of faith is just an entry point. Yes. Not that's not true. It's not true. The just, those who are made just 
shall live back, by those who are credited this righteousness and then right. declared just okay um they shall live by faith yes faith and so while i do i do believe like my when i trusted like when i was 20 years old something like very fundamentally at the core of like my identity changed yeah and there is there is there is something about that experience there's something about the realization of this son and about his love that changed me fundamentally forever that i just even this as much as frustrated as frustration as i've had with the church and theology and i've you know moved and shifted and changed my mind on some things and find myself in different places and you know, grabbed on to new things and tried all these other things. I can't walk away from him. No, no like, I'm with you. I, like, e even if I come to the last freaking like end of my rope, when it comes to faith, there is just something about Jesus of Nazareth and the life, death and resurrection <laughs> of him, right. On my behalf that I just cannot walk away from. And so I, I've seen that long work in my life. I've seen even being frustrated with people, neighbors, the church, whatever. And I was just telling my wife this, this just this past week. It's just like, man, I've moved, I've moved and shifted in so many different ways, like in Christendom or Christian ministry. But one thing that's not changing is my love for people. Like I just, I can't walk away from it as you know what I'm saying? Like you, you can't put it down. Yeah. It's just the love of God is in you and he's done this, but by, but by yelling at people from a pulpit or even providing maps and, you know, all kinds of different, you know, platforms and ways, you know, for that, to, or, or saying, this is what ought to be. That doesn't do that thing. Mm -mm. It doesn't do the thing you think it's doing. Yeah. Which I think Jesus goes on to show these dudes right towards the end of this chapter, you know, something yeah. you've already made mention. I mean, he literally looks at him and tells him for the love of God does not abide in you. Yeah. Here, I'll just, I'll just read it so we can finish it. I can do nothing of my own. Jesus says, as I hear, I judge as I hear from the father, I judge. And my judgment is just, do you think it's as I hear, as I hear from others or as I hear from the father, what do you think that that is right there? Uh, seems to be the father. Okay. Yeah. I didn't know if he was like, as I hear, like, as I hear you fools, <laughs> like talk yeah. to me, you know, um, I judge and my judgment is just, um, as I hear from the father, I judge and my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Yeah. If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. 32. There is another who bears witness about me. And I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. You sent to John. You went and inquired about me to John the Baptist. And he has borne witness to the truth. He told you who I am. Not that the testimony that I received is from man, but I say these things so that you might be saved. I'm telling you, I'm giving you more evidence that I am who I'm, I say I am. Yeah. So why? so that you might be saved. Look, just look, he is slow. He does not want to condemn these dudes. He wants mm -hmm. to save them, even yeah. though they're plotting his murder. It's just so crazy. He was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice 
for a while in this light. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing right now, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. Trust Mm. me, dudes, I'm this guy. I'm him. And the Father who has sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have heard, his form you have never seen. And you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. Here's a freaking dagger right to the jugular. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. Mm -hmm. You think you have your position and life because you've memorized the scriptures. But here's the thing. It is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come. You're still hardening your hearts. You refuse to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive glory from people but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I have come in my father's name and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Do not think that I will accuse you to the father. Love that. Don't Mm -hmm. think that I accuse you to the father. There is one who accuses you, Moses on whom you are now setting your hope. You're trusting Moses. That's the dagger to me. You're setting your hope on Moses. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Mm. Yeah, man. Jesus sums up the law, the law of Moses. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul all your mind, all your strength, <laughs> right? Like the key word here is all like you guys have received Moses, but at the same time, he looks at him and says, but you don't Moses pointed to me. You read Moses. You say you believe Moses, but you don't Moses pointed to the law and what true righteousness, perfection, holiness, goodness, whatever word you want to put in there, what it really was. And you have done everything under the sun to dumb that down so that you could drag it into the realm of the possible. And this hopes to to feel like you're in control. You're Adam and Eve. You didn't believe that God was good. You're not willing to, to free fall into the acceptance of God. You're not willing to live in dependence on him the way I am. We saw that earlier in this very chapter. What does Jesus say? For I do nothing but what I see my father doing. He lives in pure, utter dependence on the Father. It's the perfect picture of humanity. It's truly being human, the very thing we're all like looking for. And these guys refuse it. And they're like, they're clinging to Moses and the law to justify like why they're opposing him. And he's like, you don't even read Moses then. That's why the love of God does not abide in you. You refuse to see what Moses was saying. You think that reform is the way. It's not. You guys need relief. Relief. You need rescue. People drowning in a riptide, man, need rescue, not directions. And as a kid who grew up on the beach with signs, every time I go to the beach, I still live by the beach today. They're always there. Here's what you do in case of a riptide. 
man, let's be honest. No one survives a riptide. Unless somebody somewhere comes along and rescues them. And I think that's what he's saying to them. Like everything Moses was pointing to is me. And yet you say you believe Moses, but you don't receive me. It doesn't make any sense. It's just so crazy how you could be close, so close to something and miss it completely. Yeah. It's like when you have bad breath, like you can't smell it, even though your own <laughs> nose is like three inches from your mouth. Like it's literally right above it. And it's just so, it's just so crazy to me that you can be so dialed in on yeah. everything in relation to ideas of holiness and church's community and creed, cult, conduct, all of it. All Maybe of it. it's Moses. Maybe it's some quasi version of Moses that is the Protestant evangelical church or whatever. Right. Yeah. And it's like, dude, you're so dialed in. And you think you're just in the right place and dude, everything in your practice and in your theology is just screaming that you don't trust. Yeah. And, and these are the most knowledgeable hear. dudes in the world, right? Dude, they give their life to studying yes. the, the Pentateuch, yeah. Torah the ongoing discussion and expression of these ideas in these passages, yeah. the ongoing the rewriting of it, yeah. the ongoing memorization of it. It's like, it's, you've got these people that are obsessed with knowledge, almost to the point where you wonder if knowledge is their parachute. So like Adam and Eve, they're hedging their bet on something else in hopes to be like God, to be in control of their destiny and the world around them. And for these guys, it seems that knowledge is that parachute. They don't want to free fall into the acceptance of God. They don't want to live independence on God, right? A life of trust, a life of faith, the way you see in Jesus. They don't, they want to be able to have a hand in it. And, you know, and you can find people pick different parachutes, it seems like, you know what I mean? For some, it's like success. For some, it's money. For some, it's fame. For some, it's, you know, how well Johnny does in Little League. I'm just saying, like, you can run down the list with a million things. But for these guys, it seems to be a knowledge. Knowledge is their parachute. And they're obsessed with it. And they're constantly quoting Moses. Mm -hmm. And all the while, Jesus is going, number one, Moses is pointing to me. Because number two, if you actually let Moses's words be what they are, you would be looking for relief, not reform. But you don't want relief. You want reform. And the reason why you want reform is because you want control. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, you don't trust God because you don't even want him. That's why the love of God is not in you. Right. And they're clueless to this. Well, it's as, it's as simple as what I brought up earlier, you say you're not supposed to work on the Sabbath. You're literally like you're neck deep in a religious investigation. That is good. It's, it's so much time, so much resources, so many conversations. You're trying yeah. to figure all this stuff out. You're working. Yeah. You're, you're breaking this law right now, but, but, but because you think 
your job is to like uphold this thing and make sure everyone else is doing it. You're just completely blind to the whole yeah. thing. Yeah. It makes you think that like Capen, you know, really knew what he was saying when he said that free grace doesn't sell. You can't even give it away because the only people who want it are losers and no one's willing to stand in their line. <laughs> no one wants to stand in that line. Unless, unless you let Moses's words actually be what they are, which would drive you to the rejoicing in a God who came not to condemn, yeah, but to save. And there's a reason why he says you pass from death to life. Yeah. The illusion of the Jews, the Pharisees, is they're, they're alive in the law. Mm. They've been tricked into thinking that there's life there. In this, yeah. Um, that's the illusion. But what you're saying is if you really would take Moses at what he's saying, you would come to find out that you have, you're dead. Yeah. Like in, like in a, obviously like a non like physical, like literal way, but in terms of what you think you're bringing to the table, yeah, you think you have some assets, you think you have some resources, you think you have a list going, right. But your whole list is screaming to the God that made you that you're in control, that you're God in yeah. the game of religion, right. In the, in the world of religion, you are dead. You have really nothing. Yeah. And so you need to pass from death to life, to life, to be he born says, again. Moses, right? Jesus said, Moses is the thing that's condemning you. I won't even accuse you. And I'm not going to accuse you. Why? Because the father sent me into the world, not to judge the world, yeah. but to the save law it. already accuses you. That's what the, he tells him. Satan is the accuser. Yeah. He's the one that's going to accuse you. I'm everything about me is going to plead to the father for your atonement, for your rescue for life that's my blood pleads for that yeah. it pleads for the whole world it's good enough to cover everybody yeah but the thing Again, you're trusting in the thing you're trusting in the thing you're really trusting in it's not giving life like you think it's actually pointing to your death yeah because you know when you think about it, like why would they get so irate about this like well it's definitely going to undermine their whole financial system which is what, you know, the whole entire religious right systems are often at the end of the day built on. Um, I think that's why whenever there's something goes wrong in the world, they always say, follow the money. I mean, it's pretty safe, right? Sure. But I think, you know, you can get into all that and, you know, different nuanced conversations about reasonings, but I think at the core, what's being revealed is when, is to me, like the dagger and the whole thing is Jesus saying, for the love of God, it's not abiding you. Everything you've read was pointing to me. And now it's face to face. And you don't want it. And you know you don't want it. That's what's sad here. That's the sad piece. You don't want to let go. You don't want to free fall into the acceptance of a God that loves you. And everyone around you that you think doesn't matter and doesn't qualify 
that somehow by them belonging puts your belonging in jeopardy mm -hmm. or puts your worth up for grabs. And so you'd rather cling to a myth so that you can feel like you're in control, which by the way, is also a myth instead of letting go and grabbing hold of the reality that's right in front of you saying, I came not to condemn you. I'm not here to accuse you. I'm here to save you because saving resurrection is your need. Getting it right is not an option guys. And if you read Moses, you would know that something else is needed. And dude, these, I feel like at the core, man, it's just this, no, no. I have to remain in control. I can't do it. Which to me is why so much of what goes on, I feel like in the name of Christianity, in the name of like the faith and growing our faith, I'm like, that's actually the opposite of faith. I was just in a conversation with a guy at a bar about this last Thursday. And just helping him see Christianity is anti-religious, bro. It is not a religion for those who are serious about loving God and loving their neighbors. It's a fellowship for the losers who have given up on their ability to truly love God and truly love their neighbor. Mm -hmm. They're clinging to the God who came and dwelled among us for their very life. Mm -hmm. He's their death and resurrection. It's a journey of trusting him. That's the life of grace. That's the life of faith. Anything else is not the life of faith. Yeah. It's religion. Yeah. In pursuit of control that's called faith and it's not. Right. And it goes back to last week and shout out to Carrie from South Texas. He called me and we had an hour long conversation because he was so ecstatic about the whole distinction between the object and subject of faith. Mm -hmm. Because we have because we have made faith about the subject, it allows us to call all the activities of life, right? Or in mm -hmm. the Christianity, whether it be creed, cult, conduct, right? Creed, right? Your life of faith in theology, conduct, your life of faith in behavior, cult, your life of faith as it relates to, you know, all these ceremonies and ways that you express right, right your faith and all these events and you know sundays and you know various things because we've made faith about the subject faith itself and not the object we've complicated it yes this whole conversation if you go and read john 5 through the lens of faith really is just focused only on its object yep. you will see that Jesus is really saying, dude, me, singular person, one place. There's one place to put your faith. One place. Yep. Not this whole, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Expression of all these different avenues and places and platforms, right? Um, it's really just about me. It comes back to the object. Yeah. It's, it's saying what, you know really just saying what you're what you're saying it's about the son who is the son that's what who he's saying who, to them. who do you say who who is the son yeah yep. 
if you knew that the son of man deity form right was the one who's standing here the one that moses has been pointing to the one you've studied about your whole life is standing in front of you and saying resurrection not reform you would be clinging to me right now but you won't because you don't want me the love of God doesn't dwell in you because you don't want the love of God because you don't want God. You want control and you yeah. do it under the guise of following God. And it's sad because you're blind and you're dragging other people with you, which he'll get into later on as we keep going through John. Right. He's got some pretty harsh words for that. John five, man. Holy cow, dude. Dude. And it's like, it's just getting started. Like, this whole gospel is just thick. You could go thick. six months on this just this chapter, in my opinion, if you wanted to. I'm looking at this gospel. I'm like, dang, girl, you thick. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and tall. I'm like, oh, dang, girl. Oh man. Well, dude. Well, there it is. Till next time. I don't even have yeah. a cup. I don't even have a cup with me. I can't cheers. Here, I'll grab this empty thing here. There you go. Well, Till next time. Cheers.